Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Santa Barbara City Councilwoman Kristen Snedden. Kristen Snedden, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. It's good to be here. Nice yeah, to see thank you. Thank you. No, I know that um, it's been a long time coming, you know, so I'm glad we're finally able to sit down and you're kind of in the thick of the election here. Uh, but it's so nice to talk to you because as a journalist, I get to report on the things you do at Santa Barbara City Hall. Um, you work at Santa Barbara City College. And so we have some commonality there in terms of uh, being educators and having to deal with the pandemic during the last, you know, almost two years now. So I'm really excited about this conversation. But let's let's dive um in right away and sort of ask you, you're obviously in the middle of an election and you're you're uh, running for a second term. Uh, can you talk to me about what this experience is like for you? There's there's so much going on right now. There's all this money in this election. You've got this opponent who's got a lot of money. And the, you know, there's this, the person running for the mayor's got a lot of money, you know, at the top. And so it's sort of like, wow, this election's got a lot of energy behind it. But for you, what is this experience like? Well, um, it's a really different experience than the last time I ran. Um, it's uh, I'm the incumbent and and I'm you know holding on to my seat and it's and it's different than running for an open seat. Um, some things that are really different about this time around um, is just like you're saying the energy around it. I mean I think I think the last time around um, my opponent was a member of the community. We had kids at the same school. I think we understood that we would continue to see each other in the community and was, um, I, I would say, much more respectful in, in general and much more about the, the, the policies themselves. And so that's different. And um, I would say, too, the money, like you just mentioned. I mean, we're looking at more money raised um, in, this, in this election by my opponent than, than ever before. And, you know, one of the reasons we have district elections was was sort of a I don't know, a rebellion against this kind of, of um, gross amount of money being raised in a race. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty outrageous amount, actually. And if we're looking at the differences there, you know, I have a lot of constituents, people who, you know, regular people who are, who are donating to my campaign this time around. And one of my favorite donations is like a $5 donation or, or people, you know, giving what they can. Um, and yeah, the energy is really different. Um, and you know, this time also, I have four years of experience, so I'm not <laughs> learning the issues or or trying to to figure them out. I've I've been on the front lines with these issues, and and I have so much more knowledge now about our our water issues, our fire issues, drought. We've we've made it through some really difficult times this last four years. I mean, you know, I was sworn in on the day of the debris flow. And that was in the aftermath of the Thomas fire and Amazon nation coming through and changing the way we do retail and business and, and then the pandemic. I mean, the, the world is different now than it, than it was. And, um, you know, bringing that experience in and talking to people at the door, it's, it's just a whole different experience this time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember because I covered you when you ran the first time and there was, it was so fun and, I have to give you credit again. I know I've told you this when we talked, but you know I was doing my Josh Saturday <laughs> reporting thing, and I was sort of like, I got to get a whole bunch of work done today, so I'm going to call all these candidates and try to meet with them. And you were the only one on that Saturday who said, "Sure, I'll, I'll make time." And you were busy that day. You had some personal family commitments, and I always appreciated how you you valued the role of the media enough to say. 
he wants to meet, I'm going to make the time to do it. And so I just remember that campaign and being very um, appreciative and grateful that you showed that respect to the, you know, the process and the industry. And you did come out of nowhere, right? You were sort of this, this person who's like, wow, this is Kristen Sneddon. She, she's like, knows all these issues and she's this environmentalist and she's really somebody who seems to be the perfect fit for that district. And, and uh, it was really fun to cover. And you did have strong opponents, you know, you had two really strong opponents and, uh, you know, you won on election day. And now it's so different, right? Because you've got one opponent, you know, and he's raised almost, was it 210,000 or something? You know, I've lost count, you know, he's raised a lot of money. What's it like to go up against somebody who's trying that hard to unseat you and raising so much money from developers? Yeah. Um, it's difficult. I mean, I definitely feel like there were there is a, a powerful group of developers who have found a candidate who would further their interests. Um, I mean, I'll speak specifically about my opponent. I mean, we're we're just learning now um, that there is. I'll give you one example um, in campaign donations. There was one day where an individual using seven different LLCs. Um, went well over two and a half times the campaign donation limit. Um, we are filing a claim tomorrow uh, because of this is one example of, of going around the rules and, and it is definitely in developer's interest. And um, you know, my opponent on, on planning commission regularly votes for the interests of development. And there's this, this recently this option five where where he's leading the charge to, to have no code enforcement on code violations and zero enforcement. And the city attorney who was staffing that meeting said that would be like giving a drunk driver the keys to the car. We can't advise that. And um, even with that knowledge, he's continuing to, to press it. And other times where he's asked for carve outs for the funk zone, or when we were talking about the um, uh, Florida, area ratio, the FAR, um, asking for, you know, is that an appropriate number, especially for the funk zone where he has development? So um, it, it's pretty clear that he's been serving developers' interests and he's backed by big developer money. And there's a lot at stake. I mean, there's a lot for these individuals to gain financially. And 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 I, I don't have that kind of um, personal financial interest in, in any of our council decisions. And um, it does feel very different to be uh, the the focus of wanting to be have me unseated because I've been so consistent about not wanting um, gross development. So it's 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 definitely an attack, and it's and it's and it's focused individually, and um, it's very different experience. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you talk to 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 Barrett Reed, when you talk to his supporters, they say, "Oh, Barrett's." Barrett's going to win, right? Barrett's got a lot of support. They're knocking on doors. They're very confident. And that may be just part of the what you have to say when you're talking to other people in the media. Um, are you getting any sense when you're knocking on doors that people are less comfortable or pleased or supportive of you? Or, or, or What kind of feeling are you get when you're when you're campaigning? Do you get a sense like they like you still? 
Um, I have a lot of support. Yes, I do get the sense. And, and, you know, when you said I came from nowhere the first time around, um, it seemed like I was from nowhere, but, but I had been the chair of Peabody Charter School. I had been the chair of Star King Parent Child Workshop. I mean, I have a lot that I've done for the community in terms of education and families and neighborhoods. And, and that still shines through, I think. I mean, people, people know me when I, when I come to the door. There is a lot of upset about um, what's happening with our homeless population. There's there's no secret there. And a lot of the discussions really um, are focused on that at, at the door. And um, so that's where I spend more time. Really, there, you know, our plan is so has so many moving parts and we're really making progress, but there's a lot more to do. And so um, there are people you were concerned about that. I, I have had the experience at the door where where people have met with Barrett and then um, wrote him an email later saying that they were really disappointed that they didn't know that that he himself is a developer and they felt that he had misrepresented himself. And, and some people have shared that with me and had written him letters and so you know, there's there's still a lot there. Who you are at the door, you can you can say almost anything you you want, um, but there's also, I think, in these neighborhoods and these longtime residents, they they know, and I I have to have confidence that that they understand the differences between us. And and um, no, when I'm at the door, I'm I'm getting the same level of support, and and actually more so because they know me now, and and I had before I had to introduce myself a lot, yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean to imply you came out of nowhere, meaning you weren't involved. I meant in terms of the city hall infrastructure, but obviously oh, for you, sure. you politics you wise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to ask you, you know, you to mention homeless. There's sort of what was in the news this past week was um, this story that Nick Welsh wrote about. I wrote about about this Las Canoas Road project and uh, Richard Birdie is given 4500 something like that as sort of a down payment toward escrow. It's a $14.2 million project to possibly move some homeless people up to this hillside, hilltop property. And it's, I think it's in your district. So I'm wondering, um, do you have any initial thoughts on this proposal? Is this something you can get behind or what do you think of it? Um, well, I definitely have thoughts, and and it's four hundred and fifty thousand that mm -hmm. that um, that Richard Birdie is putting up, and I'm so appreciative that he has that kind of care. And you know, he writes his letters all the time. He's genuinely very concerned about about people experiencing homelessness, and and he does want to see a solution. Uh, I met with neighbors in the area this morning, um, and they're very concerned about the high fire hazard area. It's an extreme high fire hazard area. Yeah. These are neighbors whose homes have burnt down in the past, and they are very concerned about evacuation, about, you know, there's at least two single lane bridges heading up there and out. And if you're talking about 200 individuals living someplace that's ingress and egress every day, that's services ingress and egress. And then in the event of a fire evacuation seems really difficult. So what I got from neighbors and, and it sort of mirrors how I feel about it, it is a great model, a great idea. I'm really not sure that this is the place where we could pull something like this off. I mean, it was it was permitted as a monastery. And so that's a group of people who who are in a place and sort of in in retreat and staying together and not back and, and forth. And, um, you know, 
some ideas if it if it did move forward that I could see there possibly would be um, you know single moms with children maybe or we have this really growing population of women over 60 who have never been homeless before uh, are finding that their social security checks aren't cutting it anymore and uh, keeping them out of homelessness and off the streets something like that could possibly work there so we're, we're having um, a meeting on Wednesday with with the county with SB Act with CityNet and and um, with the property owners and and seeing what's up there and and my hope is that we could sort of pivot that kind of attention and direction to a more suitable location if there's that much money at play you know 14 million dollars then I think we owe it to our residents, to everyone, to really do a look at where other properties and just cursorily looking, there are other places that would be um, you know, better serve the residents who would live there um, also to not be so remote. So I'm, I learned about it from the paper. You know, I didn't, I didn't uh, have the, the courtesy of being invited to, even though it is in district four. And so at this point, I know about as much about it as you do, and um, I'm looking forward to learning more about it, and I'm really going to want to stand up for those neighbors who are so worried about the high fire hazards and the, and the evacuation. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hairpin turns and, and um, really difficult to get up and back from there. So. Yeah, well, it's certainly going to become a campaign issue. Um, there's a 45 day escrow period to get people on board to raise money. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of talk about this proposal <clears throat> leading up to election day. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the council and, and you know how, how you get along with the council and your colleagues and how effective you are. Obviously, I mean, you watch, I think you watch me on Newsmakers with Jerry Roberts. We talk about the council, I let my guard down a little bit and sort of offer a little bit of punditry analysis. Yeah. Um, but I have covered city hall, you know, for a long time, so I have seen previous councils, and you know, it's it can be tough sometimes as a journalist to sort of watch how things unfold because it feels as though feels as though there's there's some political combat, there's teams, people are working against each other, um, and you kind of never know how things are going to turn out on any, any given Tuesday. And there is this perception that there's a lack of leadership, obviously, among some people, not everybody, um, at City Hall, and the mayor's got her own issues she's, she's running on. But um, I wanted to sort of ask you, like, can you talk to me about your relationships with the other council members, and, and how are things sure. going from your perspective? Sure. I mean, I First off, COVID and not meeting in person has changed the dynamic of everything. I wish we could see the faces of people giving public comment. I wish we could speak to them directly. And instead, we're on a Zoom screen and we're facing each other as colleagues. And I think that makes things more contentious than they need to be. Because instead of speaking directly out to the room or to constituents, we're talking to each other. And districts are doing their job in that we're each sort of standing up for our individual areas. And what we need is that kind of coming together in leadership. And, and we all suffer from not having that sort of cohesive voice that, that brings us all together. I can say about every one of us that we all care a lot. And we're coming from a place of like deep passion for our city 
and, and serving our city. We have different ideas about how to get there. And some of those things get really contentious. And on policy issues in particular, you know, the one I'm thinking of right now is the FAR discussion. And, um, you know, I'm often the one no in, in a group of <laughs> six yeses. And um, that can seem that interpersonally we're not getting along and, and sometimes it can carry over. But, you know, my job is to stand up strong for, for constituents and voters and our residents and, and what I believe in. And that sometimes can look pretty contentious and, and can be pretty contentious. But I really think that we're all coming at it from wanting to solve the problems. And, um, you know, we've gotten a lot done these past four years, not everything that uh, needs to get done. There's still a lot to do, um, but and some things we really come together. When we came together for um, handling the encampments and high fire prone areas, we really came together and that was um, all rowing in the same direction, but we had some contention about where to do it, how to do it. And that kind of thing, um, I think, makes a better outcome in the end. But, but yeah, we certainly have some. <laughs> we certainly butt heads sometimes. But it, I think, it really does all come from a good place. Yeah, I want to ask you about one one particular person on the council. But let me preface it first. You know, I've covered councils over the years. I remember Doss Williams and Dale Francisco when they were on the city council. They they clashed, they butted heads. Dale was uh, more conservative, obviously, than Doss uh, Williams. Um, so they had some political differences. Um, going back as far as Mayor Marty Bloom and E.F. Falcone, they had some real differences um, that that played out and, and they did not like each other, you know, and it, it came out in some, you know, police, nego police officer associations some union issues, firefighters. And so that was kind of contentious, you know, back in the early 2000s. Um, and so I want to ask you about uh, your, your professional relationship with council member Megan Harmon. I had her on the show and uh, I basically asked her, you know, there's obviously tension. Uh, people talk about the tension, um, there's been some disagreements on issues and it feels a little bit more, um, intense lately. And I'm just sort of wanting to throw that question out to you. And I know, I mean, I'll, I'll say, say it out, right. You know, it's, it's like, why do people keep asking me about Megan Harmon? I get that. Okay. Like, why is she such a focal point? And I don't mean to like make, you know, I, I don't mean to put her as any sort of like measure of you, you know, and what you think of her, but mm. But I told her was why can't why can't you know you've got two really really strong leaders on the city council. If you guys came together, couldn't you like make this incredible policies, you know, on the council? You know what it, what is your relationship with her and when and you know can you talk a little bit about why there's tension? Sure. I mean, I I we're we're both again. I mean, just like all the council members, really passionate about where we're coming from. And I would say that there are definitely policy areas where we agree, and um, and that would be, you know, inclusionary housing, tenant protections, um, just cause eviction protections, these these types of things, and we come together strong on those and and um, working on those issues. Um, we have pretty big policy differences on, say, the FAR, um, and and. Um, Sort of the idea of downtown in general. Um, we had some pretty big differences on the State Street 
master planning um, process. And that was something where, you know, I, um, I don't back down. And, and I think that that sometimes uh, definitely causes tension. And there's, there's no question that, that Councilmember Harmon is, you know, intelligent, passionate, cares about um, the city. And we have really different ideas on size, bulk, and scale, density, what the trade-offs are that are worthwhile. And, um, you know, I've always been sort of uncomfortable with the appointment process. And it's a really different process than an election cycle. And um, for me, you know, being part of the appointment process, then every decision after that, I sort of feel responsible for in a way, you know, and it's different than um, when someone is, and this is a full on election and, and, um, and when Councilmember Harmon, if elected and is, is, is serving the constituents who voted her in, that's a whole different perspective to me. But, you know, I've lived here a really long time. I've cared about downtown for a long time. And I, I feel like my perspective on it, um, counts as much and and that's that brings tension and that's you know that's what we're there for to work out the tensions for better policy in the end and I think we'll, we'll get there we'll get yeah. there yeah I love when you mentioned Piccadilly Square from <laughs> sort of citing how you know you work there or you used yeah. to go there I got my um, ear pierced there got your ear <laughs> because for those of us who did grow up here you know it's like oh yeah that, that I know what you're talking about you know so you do um that knowledge you do have of downtown and its history is, is valuable. Let's sort of shift well, gears. You know, too, like we remember when there was a stoplight on State Street. We remember before the funk zone when, you know, when La Cumbre Plaza used to be the place to be. You yeah, know? I know. And, and that shifted and then Peseo Nuevo. And I was not always a supporter of Peseo Nuevo and, the, and how that changed downtown. And now we're talking about changing everything again. And you know, that long-term view of let's be careful, let's be really careful because once these things are set in motion, they will impact for decades. And, and it, you know, it really matters to me. So. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, let's shift gears a little bit because I, I want to talk to you about Santa Barbara City College. Uh, yeah. It's politics, right? So you're, you're a city council member and you're, you know, you serve and you're there every Tuesday and have all these meetings all week and that's a job. But you have a full-time job, as many of the council members do, um, away from City Hall, which is your, your professor or assistant associate professor at City College. Um, and uh, can you talk to me about that? What What is that like? I, I get the sense from what I've talked to you in the past that it's just like a real love and passion for you to be able to teach. So can you talk about that part of your life? It really is. I love City College. I know you do too. We have this, you know, it's such a gem of our community. And, you know, for myself, I, I started teaching at City College. I, I was a student there. I put myself through college and um, that's where I started was at City College. And I think it was a, a logic class or a morals and ethics. It's two philosophy classes I was a, a tutor for. And that's when I got my first, you know, paychecks as a, as a, teaching person and and the program there the geology program there changed my life com completely 
um, shifted my trajectory in, in what I did. And I think ever since, you know, it was 30 years ago, I took my first classes there. I've been <laughs> working to get back there. But also, you know, my mom, who you know, she went back to school um, while she was working at the news press. She went back to school at City College and then ended up graduating from UCSB when she was 62. You know, so it's like the place of second chances. My my kids have all um, started there when they were in junior high. So it's, you know, it's also the place for um, extra enrichment. And they took languages and sign language and Spanish and chemistry and um, and, you know, in teaching there, you know this, like it is, we have students of all ages, members of the community who've retired and are coming back to learn new things. And I do have such a passion for City College. Um, it's just what it gives to the, to the whole community and, and keeps us, I think, really in touch with what the needs are of, of younger people and what they're facing, what their housing needs are, what their job perspectives are, whether they're staying in Santa Barbara or not. And it really serves locals. What's happened with the Promise program? Unbelievable! What what that's done to open up access to education. And like, I'm such a firm believer that education is is the way, and and that's what sets us free. I know it did for me, and and uh, for my whole family actually. Yeah. Even even my husband takes uh, classes there um, online. So it's it's really been a whole family experience which is you know cross-generational and I love teaching there so much it's a privilege really to, to have that um, yeah it's so fun and you know we're talking about equity in the campaigns and it's you know just part of should be part of our fabric you know and everything we do but as you know City College we've had a lot of equity training we're sort of like kind of on the progressive side there in terms of what we've got to, you know, training we, we have to, to go to go to in order to be better teachers. So yeah, very um, progressive. And I think that kind of progressive thinking needs to come to the city as well. I mean, any place that is employing that many people that have that much influence on the community, um, we really should be having that that equity lens. And, you know, what I teach, too, is environmental geology. So, you know, every week it's a topic of, <laughs> You know, debris flow, waste management, water management, groundwater, uh, extreme drought, extreme fire, all, all of these issues, sea level rise, beach erosion. I mean, it's my wheelhouse. And, and I love that when we teach it, it's you can point out the window and say, this is this directly affects you here, right there. And, yeah. and it's still community building in that way, too. Yeah. Yeah. So you're back on campus this fall, correct? So Partly. can you? Partly. Yeah. So can you talk about what the experience is like of teaching in a classroom, masks, vaccinations, the mood of the students, that sort of thing? Yeah. Students who are back on campus are really excited to be back on campus. And, you know, we have the air filtration in the room. We wear masks. It's a little bit hard to catch my breath and project my voice. And it's, it's actually a lot more taxing wearing the mask, but it's um, so worth it to be in person. And now that we have the vaccine mandate and students are all vaccinated, it's um, it just it feels safer and and people are ready to come back. And that online teaching, you know, you did it. It's hard. It's really hard to connect. But on the flip side of that, because we're such an incredible institution, we have students from all over the world. Like I have students, you know, who live in China, Hawaii, Arizona, Temecula, you know, they're, they're all over the place and, and taking our classes. So that's also sort of a neat way of, for a brief time, expanding our community too. But, but people in person 
and I teach rocks, you know, it's really hard to teach rocks. We sent home rock kits and we're trying to like hold them up in the lens, but you know, it's a whole different thing. And then just the camaraderie. I mean, there's that, that building of, of community that way. It's great to be back on campus. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, hopefully, I, I don't know what percentage of classes are in person versus online, but there's pros and pros and cons, right? You do have students who are from around the world and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. They would never be here if it wasn't for this possibility at the same time. Those students, what I found is um, the, the ones who are sort of on the margins, they really benefit from that FaceTime with the, the teacher when you can sort of see them and you can sort of say, I think I need to, to maybe have a conversation with them and sort of check in with them. And that's much more difficult through Zoom because there's this presentation factor that happens on Zoom that you may not, you lose sort of that layer of connection. So, you know, I think whatever we can do to sort of, you know, City College is doing it right, you know, just mandatory vaccinations, get people in that back to back in the uh, classrooms. Um, when you know too, like we have a lot of students who are homeless yeah. and, and I know, you know, face to face and in person, I've had students where I've pulled aside, like you're saying, and said, you know, are you okay? Do you have food? Do you, do you need help? And it's such a different experience of being able to help somebody directly to the resources they need when you're in, in person and can walk them over to, to what they need. And like, every time you have to click is a barrier, you know, to get to a service or, or get food even. So yeah, I think for the, the community that we serve and I think it's really important that they see us in person and we can help them in other ways other than just like presenting content. There's so much more. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk, keep talking a little bit more about growing up in the community. You know, I think that it's, it's relevant, obviously, for people who are thinking about whether they're going to vote for you. Um, what was it like for you to grow up here? You went to Santa Barbara High and what kind of things, you know, did you do as, as a young person? And when we transition into how things have changed during your time? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I can say, you know, I lived here as a young person and then as a, you know, young family and um, as a single person. And the things that I really love to do in Santa Barbara are free. And um, we have so many um, free community events that celebrate the arts, you know, and solstice and Earth Day and just our parks, our amazing parks and the beach. And um, I am, I'm a kayaker. I, I love, I love the ocean um, and anything to do with the ocean is, yeah. is good for me. Um, and those things haven't changed. But a lot has changed. Um, well, like we mentioned, you know, it's not just which stores, it's not just Pinkadilly Square or what the store is, but having that location where you're meeting with other locals and you know you're going to run into other locals. I think our farmer's market is really our best example of that right now. Um, but I am feeling the loss of that in downtown that we talk so much about retail and businesses and we're losing the, the local focus and the focus on the arts and the focus on our, our cultural heritage. And, and I don't just mean Spanish tile roofs. I mean, our whole cultural heritage. And um, we really need to bring that back. I mean, it's part of my focus on the De La Guerra revitalization project and you know Library Plaza. And that's when I first started talking about a State Street or downtown master plan was, you know, we were talking about all these big spaces that we want to be for locals, but not integrating them, not tying it into State Street. Um, 
I did have a really fun experience on State Street the other day. My son, who just went to college, um, a middle child, have two cool. in college, but and um, he's a musician and he played with his band on 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 State Street, um, a jazz combo, yeah. and it was amazing to see how many people stopped, milled around, listened to the music. Um, they made a lot in their tip jar, and it was it was a really um, it reminded me of of why we need central locations where locals can come and sort of passively spend time with each other. And um, I'm really passionate about bringing that back. I mean, that is, it's changed. That's changed. I mean, there is something special about a few blocks of State Street. It's cluttered. It doesn't look perfect. And there's a whole bunch of problems that we could talk about. But what is special is there's a lot of people here they're having fun you know and they're interacting and uh, when we had cars you just you didn't see those people you know they were on the sidewalk I guess but I think more people are coming downtown just as just because you can walk in the middle of the street so many more and so many different ages I mean that's what I saw when my son was playing like there were so many older people um, who I think have sort of abandoned downtown I mean I had heard that last election like oh downtown's not for me and, and this time around, there are people with opinions about it because they're actually going downtown and, you know, younger people and, and groups of people, it, it has a whole different energy, but uh, we do have to do some careful planning. I mean, we made it through emergency state and now we have to really pull it in a little, make it look nice, safe. You know, these, these structures weren't built to, to last. And um, so we really need to give some attention to detail and to our aesthetic. I mean, that's, that's, part of the El Pueblo Viejo district and honoring the architecture and we'll get there. Um, We need to do it. I don't think anybody feels like, oh, we're done, you know, let people just do whatever and we're done. So um, yeah, but the energy there with people, I just, it's, um, it's pretty exciting to see so many people. Let me uh, tie it back to a couple of the issues since we're talking about state street. Um, Probably should have asked you at the top, but I'll ask you now. Um, um, PLA, Right. Um, there, there was some news. I think I wrote about it. Jerry probably talked about, I don't know, you know, other media, but um, you were always sort of like unsure, skeptical of it. And then uh, you supported it. And then it went to the consent calendar. And I think, and then you voted against it at the last minute. And there were some ramifications, you know, you lost endorsement of one of the labor groups. Um, and so it's an election issue, I guess, for, for some people. Um, can you talk a little bit about why why you changed your mind on, on that issue? Mm-hmm. On the PLA specifically? Yeah, on the PLA. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't really change my mind. So I was skeptical of it at first. As you mentioned, we, I had um, a lot of local businesses that were smaller and um, who were talking to me directly and and showing me their actual plans for their employees. And in a lot of cases, the employees were part owners or had, you know, bought into the the companies. We have some who we've worked with really closely who do beautiful work on our water systems. And so, um, and when it first came, I, I just was no. And then the next time it came around, it was, I said, yes, with conditions that it was, um, you know, that it, if they could, if they could pull it off without or negotiate it without double paying health insurance, without double paying benefits, then, um, then I could see it. I mean, I, su- I support labor, I, su- I support unions. And um, so 
The idea though, that locally in our city, if it was going to be impacting our local businesses that, that you know, have local jobs and, and workers and are treating them well. I mean, that's the, that's the distinction there too. Um, and, you know, they said they could negotiate it. And it was sort of, I mean, there were other council members from the dais who said, oh yes, it has to have that we don't double pay. And so I said, okay, you know, it was sort of a, okay, go ahead and negotiate it. And, and I'll vote yes to, to move it forward, to keep the negotiation going. Um, and then when it came back, um, it didn't, it, it, it didn't take care of that issue. There still was the double pay in there. So, and that was my my sticking point. And so I really felt to be consistent that um, I needed to vote no on that. Um, you know, but I take the hit on that on both sides, the, the, the small businesses, you know, and the, and then also on the, as you said, the, the labor organization. So, I'm, I mean, in the end, I need to vote what I think is actually the right thing to do. And in, in that one, it really hinged on being able to negotiate out the double payment. So. Labor groups had a pretty strongly worded letter that sort of implied that you, you know, wanted the endorsement and then you got it and then you didn't support it. I mean, can I know you well, um, yeah. I think, you know, politically anyway, you know, in terms of how you vote, um, can you just sort of address that? You know, like, did you try to do something and get away with something and then they, they decided to withdraw their endorsement or just, can you just respond to that thinking that you were trying to get their endorsement and changed your mind after you got it? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I'm a, I think, you know, this too, I'm a very straightforward person. And I think, you know, I say what I'm actually thinking and, um, sometimes that gets me into trouble, I guess, you know, I mean, I'm saying what I think right now, given the information that I have. And, um, you know, I was forthright on my application and in the interview. And um, at that point was told, um, not not by the interviewers, but had been told that that was negotiated and, and taken care of. And wow. so based on that, that was the conversation that we had. And we actually didn't talk much about the PLA um, specifically, because I think it, it was assumed that was that was done. And, and, you know, it was very respectful, the, um, the withdrawal of the endorsement, and I completely respect the, the process. And, and of course, it makes sense, given how that vote went. And, you know, I was pretty surprised when it came on consent, and still had that in there. And, and I felt myself like, wait a minute, this wasn't presented to me the way. Um, so really, I don't think anybody had the full picture at the at the time when we were talking about it. But, but I'm I, I do always say what I actually think. So there was definitely not a attempt to um, subterfuge or or any anything like that. And I don't think they think so either. I, that's not been my impression of conversations um, after the fact that it was. You know, there are a lot of things on labor they really supported with me, and and I, I think it was not that easy of a decision on on their part actually. But but I completely respect um, the process and what that endorsement means. Yeah. And isn't that the worst part of public service is just the the campaign stuff? And you don't have to comment because you're still in it. But but yeah. as an observer, oh, people do things, they change their mind, they say they're not going to do something, and then they do it, and it's just like whoa, I'm just trying to be an elected official here and serve the public. And there's all this weirdness that happens during election season. So there is, and you yes. know, like something can be reported one way or a different way or different things pulled out. And, and, 
you know, if the public You're going to dig me for the them, FAR story. <laughs> 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 no, Mission Canyon. But um, the, the, you know, it can, it can really sway people on, on, on what they think. Well, let's, let's go there. That was the other thing I was going to ask you was the, the, the Mission Canyon bridge and sort of uh, uh, there was people who wanted nothing done and then some people who wanted a little bit done and the city had all these, the staff had a bunch of proposals and, and then sort of you, I, I think you're referring to this at the last minute sort of voted for let's do a little bit of something. Yeah, and, I didn't vote for a little bit of something. Uh, that's, what did you I think vote for? Okay. That's the part. Uh, so there's four hours of deliberation. Yeah. Let's just start there. Okay. And, you know, when it came to us four years ago, I was completely opposed to, and still am, and have been consistent in no widening of the bridge, no changing the bridge, no changing any of the character. The The projects that came to us had as you know, all of the options had changes. And so the first motion, not by me, was to take one of those options. And I voted no. So I voted no on any of those options. And then the next vote that came was, <laughs> let's, let's not do anything at all. And the reason I voted no on that is because we'd never directed staff to look at seismic retrofit without altering the bridge. The only things that had come to us were widening or changing. And so I, I voted no. And then in the hopes that we could look at the seismic, the river scour, undergrounding the power lines, not with altering the bridge at all. That's, I mean, I've been really consistent on that and never would have voted to, to alter it and didn't. I mean, there was a vote right before the final vote, you know, and I voted no on that too. So, um, I didn't vote to alter the bridge and wouldn't have. So, but to make it safer, you yeah. know, that, that was a, to me, still something we, we could have looked at without changing it, but you know, something like that, that is something that people have asked me about at the door quite yeah. a bit. Um, yeah. Well, as you know, that meeting was, that, yeah. that was, it was a tough one. I mean, you know, like I'm trying to figure it out, I'm trying to explain it. And uh, there's, it's not often when you have that many, proposals from staff you know and there's all these sort of motions and votes um but i think staff kind of changed the impetus you know when it first came to us there was a lot about vision zero and it being a real hazard area when it came back to us staff was like well you know people overdrive the corridor it's not really a vision zero project and and they had sort of backed off a little bit on the the really strong recommendation um and that helped a lot, actually. It's like, oh, if it's not, you know, truly that safety issue in that way, but it's a complicated issue. I just really want to make it clear that, you know, there was that that sentence in there that I voted to alter the bridge and I didn't. I voted no, and then I voted no, but either, either one of them, I wouldn't have voted to alter it. Yeah. Well, um, let's, um, we got about five minutes or so to wrap mm -hmm. up here. Uh, let's say it's November 3rd, you win. Uh, what's what's on your agenda for the next four years? Is it you have a you have a five, five year years term? five year term five year term yeah even those so, things out so this is a super big election it you know, is. five year um you get all the campaign stuff behind you right and then you're actually now I can do the job again what are some of your goals what do you want to do if you're reelected yeah I have I have a lot of goals I mean I have a vision for downtown and for the city. And I mean, it's one of the reasons I was just so passionate about having to have a downtown master plan is because I was really seeing, like I said, the sort of like 
whack-a-mole decision-making of let's put big buildings here or let's have Delegare Plaza or Library Plaza, let's close a street here or there. And I really have a vision for, for downtown where we go block by block and we're looking at the densities and, and the, the size, bulk and scale of the individual buildings and how they fit in and how we preserve view corridors and how we make that area as we're planning it really safe and clean, but welcoming for locals. I really want to emphasize the locals and, and what we need to do, all ages of locals. So not just bars and restaurants, but um, all kinds of different programming in there. I really think we've lost our sense of the arts and how important that is to our community. I mean, we are an arts community and it's an economic driver and it's a big part of um, people in our community. So the, the bringing the arts uh, front and center as we're, as we're planning downtown. Um, I think too that, um, you know, I'm really proud of this new sustainability and resilience department. And even though there's some survey saying that people don't think that, <laughs> that uh, environmental issues are local issues, I really beg to differ. And I mean, when we've been through debris flow and, and extreme fires and droughts and we're, you know, planning for sea level rise, it is most definitely a local issue, whether, whether people realize it or not. And um, I have a really, um, a lot of passion for that and wanting to see through what that new fledgling department can do and in, in terms of um, looking out for our city. And I have like sort of a pet project in resilience hubs. Um, I want Peabody to be an example of that where you could go four days without power because you have solar and the backup and the industrial kitchen and it could be information center and having it be a, a pilot for, for other areas. So. I mean, that's one of the things and um, the Delegara revitalization plan, I, I chair that committee and I really wanna see that through. Um, there are a lot of really great ideas there and, and I don't want it to just, um, you know, languish. And then, you know, the AIA charrettes and all of that work that was done there. I mean, the whole reason in the first place that I thought a downtown master plan would be a good idea is because I'd seen the last AIA charrette and I thought, well, what do we do with these actual concepts and and you know I spent a lot of time working with Cass Ensberg and um, members of HLC and uh, Amy Cooper and different business owners to see like how do we make those a reality and so very dedicated to to seeing that through um, big plans for you know Macy's Nordstrom Sears I'm not going to go another term and have those just be vacant, they need to be housing. I just feel so strongly that needs to be housing. And even when we're in negotiations, they say, oh, it can't be housing. I'm just going to keep saying it has to be housing. We have to find a way for that to be housing. Even if we have to tear them down and have purpose-built buildings, I don't think we should be constrained by how it was built for Macy's that, oh, well, too bad, can't, can't be housing. So there's that. And then the big issue of homelessness. I mean, we've made huge progress, but we're just at the beginning and there's so much more needs to be done. And I mean, that's another area that I really, really want to see that through. So, you know, I, I, um, I see downtown as a, as a big focus right now, but then also up in the hillsides, you know, what we've done with fire protection, water drought, I'm on the water commission, the liaison, the Kachuma operations management board, um, that's really where I have a lot of expertise and, um, you know, as we have this diversified water portfolio to get us through the next historic drought. We're already at 50% at Kachuma and talking about the emergency pumping facilities and, 
And that's a whole area that doesn't get a whole lot of press, but is actually a lot of work goes into securing our water future. So I have a lot that I, <laughs> that I still am working on and want, want to do. I mean, I'm all in it. Yeah. How excited are you about Rebecca Bjork, Renee Eyerly? You've got your two top administrators, um, you know, women who are serving in these roles, um, you know, at a time when, you know, you just, you just look around, there's litigation related to, you know, issues. Uh, are you excited about that sort of this new direction, new vision with this new administration? Very. I'm very excited about them. They are a power team. I mean, that's where working with all of the sort of public works issues and on water and having work with Rebecca Bjork directly for these last four years. I mean, she is a systems person. She's a vision person. She's pragmatic. She gets things done. And um, I really believe in her. And then Renee Eyerly and what she's done um, with, our, with our homeless issues, but also she's co- uh, leader of the sustainability and resilience because she has this whole background in that and the way that they work together and um, the way that they talk about the issues is is I'm so confident in them and really excited and and you know I, I a huge issue I had was the community development department and how broken it was and so Rebecca now has spent you know interim time as head of that department and really on a systems level analyzing what needs to happen to make that department run well. And now we have a great new uh, leader of the community development department. And I think that that's really gonna turn that around. Um, but back to Re Rebecca and Renee, I mean, they're a power team and, and I'm really excited for the way they work with staff who really respect them. And um, it's, it's sort of a, I don't know, it's really a, a different, dynamic and and I think it um, we've had a lot of changeover and and you know um, instability and I think they're going to really anchor us and 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 bring us back to center and like Rebecca I talked to her about you know what about all of this um, turnover and I asked her could we do a survey of staff of everyone to really get to the root of why are people leaving and including, you know, is it council dynamics? Is it leadership dynamics? I want to know. And she's she wants to go there. And then back to basics. She wants to do a whole audit of, you know, how we spend our money and back to like, let's get our parks clean and maintained. Let's really hone in on our on our sort of basic services the city offers. And I really applaud that. So I'm I'm excited to work with them. I think they're um yeah. they're really great, both of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really exciting. Looking forward, you know, sort of covering that new new change at City Hall. Um, I want to thank you for taking time, uh, yeah. Councilmember Snedden. I know you're busy with this campaign and and everything you've got to do. It is, um, you know, it's intense and it's you know it's going to be competitive. I, you know, I do think it's going to be close, and uh, you know, you've you you're definitely in the thick of it. So I appreciate you making time. To, uh, to talk about yourself and your issues. And it's always a pleasure. And I've enjoyed writing about what you've done the last four years and your campaign the first time. So, you know, um, good luck to you thanks. going forward. So thank thanks you so much. It's good to see you. Yeah, thank uh, you. Thanks, Kristen. Okay. Yep, bye.